because we only have one rule on this team. What is that rule, Twiggy? E-L-E. That's right, E-L-E. What does E-L-E stand for? Everybody love everybody. Everybody love everybody. Right there up on the wall. Got that, Monix? Nope. Great, because this isn't just a basketball team. This is a lifestyle. Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by John Boy Media. We got a special episode today. You don't hear Justin's voice. That's because it's me and Danny King. The boys are back in town. And then we're going to do a little 30-minute session on the NFC East draft class. We'll do Giants stories. And then we're going to kick it to Justin and Anthony. We're going to talk about Patrick Graham's defense a little bit, which is very interesting. Anyways, Danny. How are you doing? It's been it's been a while since you've been on the show. It's been, I don't know, maybe a month and a half or so since a little bit before the draft. But how are you doing, my man? I'm doing good. I mean, I know you were mad I bailed on you on Monday. I was a really big surprise guest you were talking about. But no, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, <laughs> surviving Rona. Hope everyone's doing well with that. But yeah, doing good. I, I forgot about that. I was like, surprise. I was like, oh, yeah. This people that screwed up on me. Hopefully my audio is good. Like the thunder, I have a thunderstorm and it just literally has shaked my house in the past 15 minutes. So hoping that doesn't destroy anything. You know, maybe it was at my TV, but as long as we can get some good audio out of this pod. It's all about but, the audio, baby. I do miss ranting to you on these pods. Cause I, you know, I, I feel like you're just a better person to rant to than Justin. No offense to Justin, but like for some reason, you know how to get like the best out of my rants. No, yeah, I mean, there you say something that triggers you, and then you all of a sudden you're talking for the next five minutes, and I just let you go. I just let you say what you need to say and get it all out. We did it with Nate Solder. Nate Solder was the last good rant when that kid was telling us that, like, oh, he's actually pretty good. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I, you know me, Danny. It's like when I have a rant, it's like I've been texting you about it for like three days straight, and I'm just like ready to burst on the podcast, and then and then you go. I mean, there's a couple of good ones, you know, post draft. Baker Mayfield was a good rant when he's talked about Daniel Jones. Orlovsky was a good one. Or <laughs> if you go back and listen to our post draft episode, it's probably like the second or third one after. And the audio is horrible. I don't know how anybody listened to us back then, Danny. That was our pod, I, I don't know. A little inside baseball. We used to I used to do this podcast from my phone with this like crappy microphone. Like literally like recorded it through anchor on my phone it was so bad uh, like i said i don't know how anybody listened to it <laughs> anyways just danny oh my god i did it i did it i'm a horrible person I, I, did, already. I, I didn't finish it though so that's that's all that matters at least you caught yourself <laughs> all right so we're gonna look at the nc east draft classes and kind of go through them now we didn't do deep dives into these guys seventh round picks but there's two that I, I thought were really good, except for one little thing. Should we start off with the one that me and you both really don't like? And I feel like we we bully this team a lot, but it's the Redskins, Danny. You know, Chase Young. Let's let's go through it individually, or let's, we'll 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 kind of give our overall thoughts on it, and then you know take some individual picks. You know, Chase Young obviously was the no-brainer for them, unless they were going to go QB, which I didn't. Even as much as I hate Haskins, I didn't think it would have been smart to go QB especially with someone like two with the injury stuff. But they got like two decent wide receivers and Antonio Gibson and Antonio Gandhi Golden at a Liberty. But Danny, we talked about it last year after we played them. Wide receiver is like their position of strength. They have wide receivers and they're young. You know, they had McLaurin, Kelvin Harmon, um, even Sims showed some flash. Uh, you know, they so they have wide receivers. I didn't like the offensive tackle they got at LSU. I mean, I thought, you know, Chase Young is the no-brainer, but after that, I didn't think this was a good draft. 
No, I'm with you all the way. Chase Young was the only pick, as you said, was a no-brainer. But other than that, I'm not a fan of anything. I mean, Antonio Gibson, there's maybe potential there. But as you said, they're set at the wide receiver. I'm not a fan of that tackle. Keith Ismail, uh, he's fine. He's nothing spectacular. Kaliki Hudson, I, I don't like. I'm not a fan of Kaliki Hudson. Yeah, outside of Chase Young, as a Redskins fan, I'm not overly impressed with Ron Rivera's first draft. Yeah, you know, me and you both looked at Hudson, and neither one of us were fans of them. Ishmael was like, they kind of, I don't know, like, you know, they got Sheriff inside. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's a fifth-round pick. I think not having a second-round pick hurts. And, like, they traded Trent Williams for a third and a fifth. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to get more out of that. I, I don't know. I, I'm not big on this draft. And like you said, man, like, the offensive tackle out of LSU, I'm not big on him at all. I don't know who's doing the drafting there. They don't have a GM. I know they're letting Ron Rivera do it, but it's crazy to think that they let Ron Rivera come in right away and just like control the team's draft. I, I'm just not a big fan of this draft. And Chase Young is awesome, but it's just after that, it's like nothing. I mean, who else is going to be on that defense? Kerrigan's old. Like, who else? Who else is on that defense that you like? Like, it's pretty much just Kerrigan. And then, oh, and then Montez Sweat, who didn't really like impress much last year. No, yeah, I'm looking at their depth chart right now. As you said, you got Montez Sweat. I mean, you got arguably one of the worst safeties in the league in Landon Collins over there. Uh, I like it, I like it. <laughs> yeah, their defense is nothing. Like, the Redskins, this draft did not make them a better team in any way, shape, or form. And they lost out, you said, on Trent Williams on the offensive side of all. They're, in my opinion, just they're going to be the last team in the East. I know the Giants might not be the greatest team in the world, but the Redskins they're just bad. They didn't improve in any way, shape, or form. They didn't help Dwayne Haskins out. I mean, they, yes, they added Chase Young, but outside of that, as you said, there's nothing of like substance. Yeah, you get Chase Young does help, but I don't know how. You know, like five years from now, you're like, man, thank God I took Chase Young. But right now, I don't know how much of an immediate impact will have. And I'm not the biggest guy on Montez Sweat. And like you said, like yeah, these wide receivers are nice, but. Washington already had some kind of nice wide receivers. You know, like I said, like Terry McLaurin, I love that guy. I think he's going to be a, be a friggin' beast. Harmon was another one. So it's like, okay, you got kind of got your position of strength. I know with Gandy Golden, like, you know, you can use him in, like, some complex ways. Maybe he'll be a better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins. But I, I don't know. Like, Saquid Charles, like, um, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of this draft. Do you have anything else on, on the Redskins? No, nah, nah, I think we're all in agreement that this draft was bad. All right, Danny, I'll let you take the take the wheel. Who do you like the most? Cowboys or Eagles? And I'll let you I'll let you explain. I'm gonna be honest here. I, I like the Cowboys draft the most out of the NFC East. They added C D Lamb. There, there's nothing no need to explain C D Lamb. He's he's a fantastic wide receiver and Dak Prescott should have a fun time using him. They added Trayvon Diggs, the corner out of Alabama. People have compared him to Aqib Tlaib. He's good at press coverage. Good at he's good at jumping routes. Good at fifty fifties. One thing I don't like about him, he likes to tuck jerseys a little bit if he feels the trouble. But I mean, what corner doesn't do that? Neville Gallimore. I mean, he he was great. One hundred forty seven tackles, seventeen for a loss, and eight eight and a half sacks over his career. He has untapped potential. And could the Cowboys bring it out of him? I think they can. They added Reggie Robinson in the corner. Tyler Biadaz, the center I wanted the Giants to draft. Unfortunately, they took him before we could get that done. And then Brandon Ainey, a great production at Utah in four years, 131 tackles, 40 for a loss, and 29 and a half sacks. 2019 alone, he had 41 tackles, 14 for a loss, and 13 sacks. And then in the round seven, they added a QB Ben 
Dinuki and I wrote better than Dak Prescott and better than Andy Dalton will be the starter week You're one. You're just trashing everybody today. I like it. Coming I, I, back I with get, a little I, bit I of vengeance. My, I get my one month and I got to go with it. <laughs> I guess comes vengeance. Yeah. The one's for Jalen Hurts, and we'll get about that. I would probably have the Eagles number one, but the Cowboys have to have the number one out of these three teams. C.D. Lamb, I think, is going to be better than Amari Cooper. I'm not the highest guy on I mean, Amari Cooper's really good, but I'm not super high on him. I think C.D. Lamb, not in first year, but eventually be better. Trayvon Diggs, they had that need for corner with Byron Jones leaving. You add Neville uh, Gallimore, and, and you put him in a good situation where he's got good inside linebackers after him. After him. And then... The fourth and fifth round, I mean, I love Tyler Biadaz, you know, who we talked about from Wisconsin. Like, I really think he was the best center in the draft, and they got him in the fourth round. You know, there's injury concerns, but I feel like he's going to fit in perfectly. I think he's going to start day one, honestly, after Travis Frederick retired. And then you mentioned Brad Bradley Anae out of Utah. He was another guy I liked. Like, I was surprised he lasted that long. That was another one. Like, this Cowboys draft is really good, and they got in, for the most part, they got in spots of need. I mean, you can argue that, you know, Gallimore isn't a, a spot of need, but it's, uh, you know, you can take BPA at that spot. And then C.D. Lamb, man, like, he's he's the guy who dropped in this draft the most. like, And I think he's going to be awesome for them, and I think he will make Dak, Pres- Dak Prescott's life a whole lot easier. And I'm a big believer of building upon your strength. At wide receiver now, they have C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup, who was really good last year. Yeah, for some reason last year, Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott just didn't didn't have the chemistry. I think they would probably work that out this year. I mean, C.D. Lamb, as you said, he's talented. It's gonna. I think it's gonna take him at least maybe at least a year to reach that full potential because he didn't face any crazy competition on the defensive backside in the Big Twelve. But Trayvon Diggs, I love. And just Tyler Reed, that that's my favorite pick of the whole draft. As you said, the hip injury is a bit of a concern, but I think. He'll get over that, and yeah, he'll be the starting setter day one for Dallas. I don't know too much about Diggs, you know, besides reading scouting reports and stuff, but I think he is, like, the make or break for this draft. Like, if he can become a quality starter for them, it really does put this draft, you know, on another level. Reggie Robinson, I'm not too familiar with him. But, yeah, like you said, man, like, the late-round stuff is really good, and they only had seven picks, so they kind of got a good bang for their buck. Like I said, C.D. Lamb's a beast. And then you just get Tyler as in the fourth round. I know, you know, the Giants, whether the Giants pick after that, I know he was like on everyone's like watch list for him to fall to us in the fourth round. What I can't even remember where he was. Maybe we, no, we passed on him for Holmes. Anyways, Tyler as I really liked him. I thought he played nasty, and I wasn't too concerned about his injury because he played through the injuries. So, yeah, Cowboys, a good draft. Now, Danny, the other draft is the Philadelphia Eagles. By the way, we are just bleeding draft content out of this podcast. We'll have one last one with Snyder on Monday, then no more draft content. Jalen Rager. Now, Eagles fans hated Jalen Rager, this pick. I, I love it for them. Jalen Rager is a beast, dude. When you watch him at TCU, his QB was so horrible, and he would make the nastiest catches. I think he's getting like, they, and they need help at wide receiver. Then in the third round, they get Davion Taylor out of uh, Colorado, who is just an athletic freak. He only played a few years of college football. He didn't play in high school, but he's an athletic freak as a linebacker. And you just you just like put him in space and just like, hey, go make a play. And those are the kind of guys I like. Kayvon Wallace, another guy me and you both like, the safety out of Clemson. A guy who, you know, he went higher than I thought because I thought he was going to be like the steal of the draft. Offensive tackle out of Auburn, Jack Driscoll. Like, I really like Driscoll. He reminds me of Nick Gates a lot. 
Hightower out of Boise State, Sean Bradley out of Temple, Quez Watkins, the wide receiver out of Southern Miss. And then in the sixth round, they got Prince Tega Winoga, the other offensive tackle out of Auburn. He's pretty good. Like, he, you know, you, he might be someone you can develop down the year. Casey Tuhill, the offensive linebacker out of Stanford in the seventh round. Danny, I would love this draft. I would, if the Giants had this draft, I would love it. Besides, in the second round, going Jalen Hurts. I don't get that pick at all. It just doesn't make any sense to me. You can't plan for Carson Wentz to get hurt, or at least at least not with a second-round pick. If you're planning on Carson Wentz getting hurt, you do it in the free agency. You don't waste a second-round pick on it. And I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to be that good anyway. So, so if he doesn't play, if Carson Wentz plays and has any struggles, you know the Eagles fans are going to be clamoring for Hurts. I don't know. Like I would be in love with this draft if it wasn't for the Hurts pick. Well, Howie Roseman, you try to make it sound like that, oh, we dr- we drafted him so he can line up at like a running back next to Carson Wentz. You you drafted him because you're you're thinking Carson Wentz is gonna get injured this season. As you said, this draft is amazing. Davion Taylor, he hasn't even reached his full potential. He's only been playing, as you said, college football for a few years. There's still so much room to grow for him. Kayvon Wallace. I, I wanted the Giants to take him, obviously in the later rounds where the Eagles picked him, not with the second pick where we got McKinney, but this draft is good. It's just Jalen Hurts takes it down for me. We're not bashing Jalen Hurts. I'm not. We're not saying he's an amazing quarterback. We're not saying he's a terrible quarterback. But that's not the pick for the Eagles to make with the 53rd pick. They're, they have more area of needs and a back of quarterback. While it's a need, it wasn't a need right there. Because second-round talent is still huge. You can get a quality player in the second round. But the Eagles opted to... They, they're betting Carson Wentz gets injured this year so they can put in Jalen Hurts and maybe make a miracle run in the playoffs like they did with Nick Foles because that's how they make their playoff runs these days is with a backup quarterback. <laughs> I don't get planning for your franchise QB to get hurt. And it's just – it just is a no-win situation. Like I said, I don't think Hurts is that good. There's a reason he didn't go in the first round. There's a reason, you know, a team with a Q, a team that didn't need a QB took him. And I just – like – when you have a young QB, you try and do everything possible to win with him. And I just don't think this is it. And I know they're trying to spin it and like, oh, we're trying to do this. We're trying to build for, you know, we want to be a QB. Like, no, bull crap. Like you said, Danny, it is 100% that they are worried about Carson Wentz getting hurt. And if that's the case, like, why not spend some money on Cam? I don't know. I spent some money on Cam Newton or or somebody or, or give Jameis that contract. Anything but drafting a guy who I don't even believe in in the second round. Carson just signed a four-year extension a year ago. I know Carson Wentz has the injury history, but let, let's make this clear. The one where he got injured, I believe, was the one when they made their Super Bowl run. That that wasn't on him. It was a f- ACL injury that happened in a, at the Rams game. And then I don't, I don't even remember what happened to him last year. I know he got knocked down in, in the playoff game against the Seahawks, or just a regular game against the Seahawks, and when J- Javion Clowney went for the head. Yeah, they're betting on their quarterback getting injured. And I, I think... Could Jalen Hurts see some playing time this year? Based off injury history for once, there's a possibility. But as you said, you could go out and sign someone, but they there's so much better talent at the 53rd pick, but they want Jalen Hurts. That's, that's all there is to it. Here, let's pull it up. I want to look at the picks. NFL draft listing. I just want LSU. I don't want to watch L- I don't want to see LSU's draft picks. I know they had a ton. Stop bragging about it. All right, so they. what pick was this? The 52nd? Uh, 53rd. 53rd. Okay, 54th. A.J. Epinesa. Pretty good player. J.K. Dobbins. They you know, they, they draft Miles Sanders, so it's hard to say that. Raekwon Davis, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. He's good. 
You get another wide receiver, Van Jefferson. Ezra Cleveland, I wasn't huge on the office tackle. Denzel Mims, the the wide receiver, the Jets got. By the way, Josh Uche, what are the Patriots doing with drafting him? The Patriots are setting up for uh, Trevor Lawrence this year. That's what they're doing. They're, I hated their draft. I think they might have had the worst draft. Like, who did they get in the first round? Or did they, they even have a pick in no, the first they, round? I think they traded out of the first round, right? They probably did, because that's how they do it. Yeah, and they did. They traded out of the first round, so they draft Josh Uche. And then in the third round, which I was blown away with, uh, they got Anthony Jennings, and then they got... Um, when they draft the kicker. Devin Agency, yeah, they got the white supremacist, supremacist kicker. <laughs> Devin uh, Aussie Aussie, who, like, they just feel like they were reaching. Now, maybe we'll end up looking dumb and being like, they weren't reaching. And they got Dalton Keene in the third round, who I love, but I was like, I love him as a seventh-round pick. You know, so it was just, I don't know. I didn't like, anyways, I don't know where we're getting off. Basically, what I'm saying is there was lots of good players to be had, and they went QB, and that, I'm sorry, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, there's so much better talent in the pool to address the needs that they need now, but yet they decided to draft a quarterback. There's, as you said, so much better talent surrounding them and talent that would have made the Eagles a better team when they hit the field this year. Jalen Hurts will have absolutely no effect on them, at least for the whole season, until if Carson Wentz gets injured. If Carson Wentz doesn't get injured, then this pick's just a waste because there's no way you're going to throw Jalen Hurts out there as a running back. There's no way. And I, and I don't see that even translating well. Yeah. And there's capable backups out there to be had, too. You know? So that's why it doesn't make sense. And I get that it worked for the Eagles. They had their backup QB win a Super Bowl. But, like, you can't plan on that. Like, that's not going to happen again. Okay? That's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing for your franchise. Like, I know the Giants did it. But, I, like, that's not just something that happens. Like, oh, we just put our backup in. So, yeah, I, I didn't like it. And so, and any final thoughts on this Eagles draft? This would probably be the best draft in the NFC if they did not draft Jalen Hurts in round two. We're yeah. both in agreement on that. I mean, there are so many players I love in this draft class. I mean, Davion Taylor. I mean, you just cl- if you just if you told me, you know, besides first second round, if you just went Davion Taylor, Kayvon Wallace, Jack Driscoll, I'm like, oh wow, like that's awesome. I love that pick. And it's like, yep, that's what the Eagles did in rounds three and four. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of weird. So rank rank the draft classes. I think we might agree on this one. So I'm I'm going Cowboys 1, Eagles 2, Redskins 3. I think we already ranked them, but nonetheless. Yeah, Cow- Cowboys 1, Eagles 2, Redskins 3. All right. All right, Danny, you ready for Giants stories? Your first time being a part of this segment? I am ready to look at the Giants today. All right, let's cue the music. John Halapia was doing jump rope and took an ice bath by the pool. Jabril Peppers was practicing boxing. Andrew Thomas was part of a drive-by graduation. He got a haircut inside his house, as well as O'Shane Zimenez, who had a barber come into his house. Julian Love graduated from the Notre Dame. Darnay Holmes was training with Odell Beckham. R.J. McIntosh was playing dominoes, but not for $70,000. Shout out DeAndre Baker. Corey Coleman was driving his boat. Golden Tate golfing as usual chris williamson celebrated his 23rd birthday darius slayton was working out with former giants javaris king and khalif raymond 
BJ Hill was throwing an egg at his wife and DeAndre Baker was just working out and nothing else happened with DeAndre Baker all week. You love to hear it. I mean, I know Pat Lander was drooling over that uh, Odell photo with uh, Darnay Holmes. He he loved that photo. For those Giants players that got their uh, haircut, let me know how you got that haircut. Would love to get involved with that. Uh, Andrew Thomas also come to my graduation. Andrew Thomas, I'm, I'm a pretty cool dude. I, I pre-ordered your jersey. That's nice. Yeah, Golden Tate is always golfing. I feel like that's all he does. Like, he has a family, but I think they're just like, he's like, yeah, that, that's cool and all, but I got to go hit a round of golf in my backyard. And the thing is, if I went golfing, I should put it on my Instagram stories because I never golf. But when you golf, like, every day, we don't need to keep seeing on your Instagram stories, Golden Tate. We get it. You golf. You have money. No big deal. So, yeah, Golden Tate, all he does is golf. The, the theme of this is working out with former Giants wide receivers. You know, Tavares King, he was the only wide receiver who showed up to that Green Bay playoff game. <laughs> Khalif Raymond, who was the speedster, who he had a playoff touchdown with Tennessee this year. Was he the guy that uh he did, like, the backflip and, like, broke his ankle or something like that? Who What Giant? Remember that? No, that was somebody else. I know who you're talking else? about. I forgot. I forgot. Who was it? I know who you're talking it, about backing me. He was dancing in the locker room, and then he, like, broke his ankle. I was like, what a year this team's having. Yeah, that was – Was it? are you sure it was a broken ankle? It was something. It was – I don't remember what it was. Oh, man, this is bothering me. What, you know what's crazy is the listeners are listening right now, yelling like, we know it. Oh, it's Jawel Will Davis. Jawel Will Davis dislocated his kneecap. That's what it was. Come on, Joe Will. What a legendary time that was in Giants land. Joe Will, Will, how about, yeah, nah, that wasn't going to work. I, was hey, trying to... I, I saw the attempt, but it just fell apart in I front of trying, trying to do some kind of pun, it didn't work out. And then Darnay working out with Odell. Okay, so it's a good conversation. A year after the fact, a year, you know, a year and a few months, where do you stand at with Odell? Because like I, you know, like you see it, time heals all wounds. So you see a lot of people softening up on Odell, um, and I'm one of them. But like, where do you stand on Odell right now? Uh, I feel like the hatred's gone. I looking back at it, I get why he had some disdain towards the team. They they gave him a nice deal. He was happy with the coach they brought in, and all of a sudden they just turn corners and just ship him out to Cleveland, where players used apparently go to die, as some people put it. But I'm fine with Odell now. If he talks trash about the Giants, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. They trade you away after, you, you, I think, you love being here. But, I mean, all those nice go-happy feelings are out the door once December 20th comes or December whatever when the Giants play them. Then um, I despise Odell because I know he's going to put something out on social media and it's just going to bother everyone. And then it's just going to be all hatred again towards Odell. <laughs> we have to win that game. Well, here's what I stand. The trade absolutely worth it. If he was on my team, he'd still be annoying me probably. Oh yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't have like that. Like I can't stand Odell anymore. It's actually more so for Baker Mayfield, honestly. At least, at least Odell was good. You know what I'm saying? And he talked. Baker talked, and he wasn't good. And it's like I can get like oh like people can get bitter. The Odell thing was just like it was just like shut up, Odell. And the fact was that you know the Joe Cena interview was that was the. Uh, 
You know, the Sheena interview actually wasn't the turning point for me. It was the following Thursday night against the Eagles when he walked off into the locker room. Because I was already pissed at him for that. And I, I when this, we were doing Snowman Raiden, I had a rant. And I just went off on Odell. And then that Thursday night with the Eagles when he walks off early, I was like, done. Get him out. I'm done. Trade him. That's when I was done with him. And then, you know, you expect him to be back, and it was super surprising. But yeah, I mean that's right. I, mean, I don't, I don't hate Odell, but I'm also not like the. Imagine if Daniel Jones had Odell. It's like no, please, I don't want to imagine that. I really don't, um, because I don't want that headache in our, fucking, like, giving us a, you know, giving us a headache all the time. All right. Uh, anything else on this list that catches your interest? Jabril Pepper is practicing boxing. I always find that fun. Oh, Jabril, that, that one's interesting. I think he's training to fight someone in Cleveland when we play that game. And I yeah. now Jabril Peppers will be the guy to go out and fight someone. He's got the training going. As well as I am. I'm training to fight Baker Mayfield. Yes, but, but see, the difference is you would probably get maybe, like, arrested for fighting Baker Mayfield. Jabril Peppers wouldn't, so maybe you should, like, coordinate with him how to attack him. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll, I will, like, pay Jabril Peppers to fight Baker Mayfield. And then I'll give him a talking giant sticker and have him put it on his helmet after he fights him. I I don't see anything wrong with that deal. The Jabril Peppers is winning in every aspect of that deal. He gets to fight Baker Mayfield and he gets a talking giant sticker. Not many people get the opportunity to get a talking giant sticker. <laughs> Did you see that a talking giants the talking giants logo was in a video tweeted out by the Giants account? Yeah, yeah, totally. Shout out Zonas Agantes, Ruben. Ruben put it on there, our, our Spain oh, brother. Oh, I thought you would be somewhat sarcastic when you said no. Giants account, but then you said that that account, like, oh, yeah, that's why I kind of responded like, like an a-hole. I was like, oh, yeah, the Giants put that out. No, I saw that video. I didn't notice it until you even said something. I personally don't know how you even saw that. I didn't. They told me. Ruben, oh, told Ruben, you. he's like, hey, Bobby, check out the check out the Talking Giants logo in the background. I was like, there, oh, there's already shit. There's already a winner, right? Yeah. Oh, there was, I was like, I, I, you know, I tweeted it out and then I checked my personal account and I'm like, oh my gosh. And literally like four people replied at the same exact minute. Like it was like say 342 or whatever. And then, but it showed which one was first. And I will say, I love our abroad listeners, but sending you guys stuff in the mail sucks. And then it was another, it was another guy from the UK. Now I'm happy to send him, but I'm losing my ass and stamps sending all this stuff overseas, man. It's ridiculous. Oh, I, I think we may have a late addition here to the, the... Did you mention Will Hernandez? Because I have a video of him pushing a car. Oh, that's new. That is new. There's a, yeah, there's a video of him pushing a car. Well, someone says it sounds like he's listening to Katy Perry. So that's interesting. Will and Hernandez, Will Hernandez was pushing a car. Just casually pushing a car. Because that's what he's going to be doing this year. Pushing the line so Daniel Jones has a... Or Saquon Barkley has a clear path to scoring touchdowns. I can't wait to watch Andrew Thomas dominate and shut up that nerd kid. Uh, (laughs) That nerd kid that we all know and love. Yeah, Justin. Uh, (laughs) All right. All right. All right. Danny, thank you for doing this. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Back on the show. Now I'll see what Justin and Anthony may argue about this time. You, You didn't get to write a blog because our website is down at the moment. Even though if you go. took away my ability to. They took away. It's ridiculous, honestly. We need to fight the power on this one. All right, let's kick it to Anthony and Justin. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. 
Hello and welcome to the second half of Talkin' Giants. My name is Justin Panic, and with me is Anthony Tomeno. Hello. You know him from his, ooh, you know him from his awesome work on YouTube with his in-depth draft breakdowns. You heard him on the podcast a few months back when we talked some analytics, and he also does awesome work on Twitter. But today, we will begin to analyze Patrick Graham's defense, what it may look like, and how all these pieces the Giants have may fit in 2020. But first, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Justin. I'm glad to be back on the pod and talking about defensive schemes, which is exciting because that's where I feel like my bread and butter is. Yeah, scheme, 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 definitely. Schemes. And now I have to, uh, I have to uh, uh, do something that I basically do to everybody, or I mainly do it to Bobby and myself. He is a little thin in the butt. <gasps> you gave me a drop. I gave you a drop. I love you. Thank you. And uh, what's the Charlie, Charlie Heck? He is a little thin in the butt. I, that was from uh, our pre-draft <laughs> breakdowns. I thought we were going to sneak him out in the seventh round. I think he went in the fourth round. So thank you, draft machines, for being completely wrong. There you go. There you go. So now you have your drop. You, you have been known to run into a little bit of trouble on your on, on YouTube with having some bad, like inappropriate. Like, you know, I don't know. You you've said you've never seen this, but there's this really famous Troy Aikman clip of him going viral where he says something very inappropriate on television, but he's talking football. He's talking about the game of football. So it's, it's easy to slip up. Let's just say I make that mistake often and it's not hard to point out in any of my videos. So we're just, we're going to leave it at that though. Okay. All right. Um, All right. We'll, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, so you're here, we're talking Patrick Graham's defense. We're talking scheme. Tell us a little bit about your football background and where do you bring some experience to the topic? Why the hell should we listen to you? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, my uh, background is I actually got to play free safety in college for four years. Uh, it was a Bud Foster type uh, defense. So it was more of a, it was like a 4-4, kind of a hybrid 4-3. We really enjoyed at least uh, as, you know, safeties is being able to make all of the coverage checks, all the calls. So, you know, I got a chance to do a lot of that and we did a lot of disguises. There was a lot of blitzes from multiple different areas. It felt really familiar. It's not the same defense, but, you know, it was definitely a high pressure defense. And um, it was actually uh, taking me back a little bit uh, back in the day to when we played. Yeah, that was kind of what I was responsible for is recognizing the formation whenever they made uh, you know, if they flipped it, if they uh, ran motion or whatever, I had to make all the calls to change, whether it was from man to man into zone, if they motioned into trips, you know, pull back into a cover six. So yeah, that was, that was just kind of what I did. So obviously being able to have the experience kind of helps you have a, you know, maybe a keener eye when you're looking at things like what is Patrick Graham trying to do, you know, when he sets up his guys. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that today and then we'll follow up a little bit more on YouTube, actually, uh, with some more in-depth stuff where we can show some of the visuals and actually show you some more of the plays. Yeah, so today is an intro. Today's an intro. It's the month of May. You know, there's no rookie camp. There's no spring workouts, which that's what we typically would be talking about. So this is an intro as to, you know, how are all of these pieces going to fit all of these fun pieces? It's, it's fun right now. It is fun. It's not like we're looking at, you know, the 2019 Dolphin starters where, where <laughs> half of these guys actually belonged in the CFL and there was so much roster turnover. So let's actually talk about that first before maybe we talk about, you know, the Giants roster itself. But the, what Patrick Graham had to work with in 2019 with those Dolph Dolphins defensive starters, 
you know, you look at that roster from week four to week, to or week one to week four to week 12 to week 14 to when they even played the Giants. You know, those starters, for example, the two games that we watched together, Anthony, was the Eagles and the Washington game. And Kiko Alonso was one of those starters. And that's a name like, hey, I actually know Kiko Alonso. But he wasn't even there when <laughs> I don't no, know where he was. Gone. I don't know if he was hurt. He was yeah. he was gone. He was just flat out gone. Taco Charles. <laughs> I think was they disappear. One. Yeah. I don't know what happens in Miami. But by the time that we played in week 14 against the Giants, those guys, both of those guys were gone. So there was just so much turnover. So Patrick Graham not only just worked with bad talent to start, they were trying to find something of substance as the season went on, but it was just so tough. It was just so difficult. Um, and it's honestly, maybe we would start off this episode by looking at stats and just like, you know, hey, the Dolphins defense ranked here. The Dolphins defense ranked there. We have some different stats. There's nothing that's really going to show that Patrick Graham's defense is awesome in terms of where the Dolphins ranked in 2019. <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not relevant. Um, I, I'm not sure anyone had less to work with and they still won five of their last nine football games. So to me, that's a better sign of coaching, you know, is, is their improvement. And even when they lost, you know, some of their high level guys, they still, you know, they got guys in there that filled and, you know, they played to the best of their ability. And that's sometimes all you ask of a coach, just put the guys in positions to have a chance. And, and so, uh, you know, credit actually down there to Flores, you know, and those guys. But uh, Patrick Graham's got a it's, he's got a fun defense to play. I would have liked to have played on that scheme. Now, right now, this is my biggest fear. And this will be like our first question really kick us off. My biggest fear. We were promised a village with James Betcher looking at his aggressiveness and his blitz percentage. At one year, it was 47% or 41% with Arizona. And then when he came to New York, we saw a timid and passive way in terms of running a defense. Uh, as of now, we are talking about Graham's defense, about having a ton of moving parts, lots of pre-snap movement, and guys in multiple roles, fitting in multiple roles. Do you think that there's a chance that, you know, Graham's defense, it can be better 2.0 in terms of we're promised one thing, but we get a different thing? I, I think he shows, at least showed us that it didn't matter his talent. We're going to run our defense a certain way. He changed his scheme up game to game. We're going to talk about the Redskins and Eagles game in a few minutes, but, you know, we saw him change his scheme based on the opponent. And that was one of those whole multiple things. It's actually evident in the film. But with Betcher, and I think everyone knows this, you know, when we started sitting in soft zones and, you know, we had some of our our guys playing against their strengths, you know, you can't have DeAndre Baker off the ball. It's just a, it feels like a dumb decision. Why have Janoris Jenkins off the ball? Let those guys press. Uh, let Jabril Peppers run all over the football field. You know, why isn't Antoine Bethea up there in the box? Where is Julian Love? Uh, you know, there there were all those kinds of decisions which felt like they told me that maybe he wasn't totally ready for this moment out on his own. You know, obviously he came from Bowles's, you know, tutelage. And maybe when he found the moment, he was too worried about them losing the rep versus winning the rep. And it would have been nice to see him just say, screw it. We're going for it. We're going to blitz 45% of the time because that's what <laughs> I do in my, that's what I do in my defense. And you know, I'm going to put the rookie in a tough situation. Um, and I would have rather have that than have them destroy us up and down the field. Like they did, you know, right. for most of two years. So I'm more encouraged because it looked like Patrick Graham 
did the things that I think he got signed up for. There was evidence of it in Miami, despite who he had playing. And I think we have a much better roster. And if you don't think so, I just I just have to disagree with you because I think middle out yeah. our defense is, is way deeper and better than it ever has. Uh, do we have some of the top line guys? We don't know. We don't know if Leonard Williams is going to turn it on. We don't know if Baker's going to turn it on. We don't know if Martinez will continue to have the 150 tackle year. Uh, we don't know if Peppers can ascend from what he was doing last year, which was great. And it was great the year before. He has shown great improvement. Is that going to continue? If those things happen and he has this scheme, I think the guys are going to have fun and they're going to fly around and they're going to enjoy it. And I would not be surprised that it's successful. But there's just a lot of questions because of all the other circumstances that surround it. Right. Right, I'm kind of done with the whole, oh, we're going to give a pass for the Giants' defense this year because there's just not enough talent. I feel like we haven't had enough talent on the defensive side of the ball since Eli Manning won a Super Bowl, for crying out loud. So I'm kind of done with that whole excuse. Let's try to rock and roll. I know you know, we're probably maybe a year away of still trying to maybe build some free agency pieces and stuff like that, but sure. I'm done. I don't want 2020 to be the year where we make another excuse for the defense and a lack of talent for not performing. There's a lot of draft picks. There's a lot of signings. There's a lot of good moves that have hopefully been made on this defensive side of the ball. But let's talk some personnel let's yeah. talk some personnel what have we seen Graham have his defense like line up the most in so I know you have some general stats here in terms of where where are they lining up what is Graham doing so why don't we go through those really quick and then we'll get into some more uh like concepts uh, scheme stuff yeah yeah we'll hit him real quick so he loves man-to-man 50 percent of the time that's fun uh you want to know why because you guys don't have to think that much Justin <laughs> they could just play mm-hmm. and it feels more like backyard football uh, cover one, which only means that there's one guy deep and everyone else is playing man to man. It's essentially a single high safety valve, truly a safety kind of where the name comes from. Uh, they ran cover zero, which literally means there is no deep safety. Everyone is man to man across the line of scrimmage. Uh, they ran that the seventh most in the NFL and they were in the top third of all teams that blitzed. And 60% of the time they blitzed, it was out of that cover one look where there was one single high safety. So he put his money where his mouth is. Uh, They ran a high pressure defense. That happened regardless of who they played too. Um, Now there was some differences. The Chargers game, they played a little more cover two. They played a lot more cover one against the Redskins. And you saw them running more zone, more underneath cover three types uh, looks against uh, teams like the Eagles that like to spread it out. So that's just a quick example of like, he he definitely spread it out based on uh, who who he was playing. Yeah, which which that's kind of like an awesome thing. You want to adjust to what your opponent is doing on the other side of you. <laughs> it's crazy. So that's kind of a good transition. It's crazy concept, right? Uh, we watched together the Eagles game and the Washington game. We watched that together on Zoom. And we saw two different game plans after getting slightly concerned after the Washington game because they were they were kind of doing some unconventional things. But we turned on that Eagles game, and it's like, huh, Graham is doing some fun and interesting things here. So what was different about, number one, these two these two offenses? And then how was Graham responding differently based off of his game plan? Great question, man. The, the offense for Washington was ball control. You saw a lot of two tight end sets, and you saw Patrick Graham respond with a lot of cover one which is man-to-man across the board, even when he didn't have a corner who could cover Terry McLaurin for his life, but he was still doing it anyway. Um, You saw some cover two into cover one. So he used the second safety to pretend that he was back deep. And then on the snap of the ball, he would shoot at the running back. 
And I was I was loving that, Justin, because when we did our breakdown of McKinney, they loved to do that with him in Alabama and have yes. him just literally fly across the field. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that cover two to cover one because I don't think you're fooling anybody. But against the Eagles, they had that spread offense, you know, the RPO, uh, you know, just try to gash you in the gaps and underneath and intermediate. And what did he do? He looked like he was in a cover one again, man to man. But then you'd see him kick his corners back into a cover three and then run his linebackers and his safety underneath. And you saw them confuse Wentz a bunch with that, actually. And that's when I had more confidence in Graham's scheme. I was like, oh, okay. Because I thought he was going to get locked into the like, wow, they're running single high, man to man, just pick the worst DB, you know, worst corner to throw at and then throw at him and throw at him all game. Right. Because that that could happen in that situation. But he made it look like he was in that cover one. And by kind of backing off at times while still applying some pressure, uh, it, you know, he looked like he could confuse Wentz and uh, Peterson in that team. So that was an exciting dichotomy because it said to me, all right, because at times Dallas is going to want to ground and pound. Right. And at times they're going to want to spread it out. You don't want to have your defense look totally different each time because it's going to be obvious the coverages that you're running. You know, you want to be able to create some shell that makes the quarterback have to guess. And uh, I saw some of that even with the the talent that he had. A concern that I had when I was watching that Washington game, which this observation of the Eagles game was absolutely awesome. That you know, you he's filtered, he's filtered his game plan based off of the the, the offense that he was facing. It's awesome. Yeah. But a concern that I had when watching when I'm watching the Washington game was there would be first and tens, and Washington's running out of twelve personnel, which is two tight end formation, two tight end, two wide receiver, one running back. It's a rushing formation and a rushing down. And there'd be times where I would only see one interior linebacker on the field. Your interior linebacker, you know, that's the main guy that's getting the tackles. That's your Blake Martinez, that's your Ryan Conley's, and those are the guys that you want making plays on running backs when your interior defensive linemen when they're eating up space. So Something that concerned me, and, and maybe talk a little bit, you know, this is where a guy like McKinney comes in. This is a guy like where Peppers comes in if they're playing the box. But I don't know. I'm kind of concerned because if a running back gets past that first level and they can get past the secondary level, they then be we're gone, talking yeah. about five, six, seven yards, a chunk, you know, in, if and that's that's best case scenario. So lack of interior linebackers on rushing downs and rushing formations, is that something that may concern you? Why shouldn't that concern you maybe with some of these pieces that we have at safety? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if in that and what and I think what you're talking about there is when they they ran kind of an amoeba. The Patriots do this too, where they they basically have no one lined up on the line of scrimmage, and so the offense kind of doesn't know who's coming. And then after you know the snap of the ball, you then see the rush kind of establish itself. And so I honestly think it's a gimmick, Justin. I don't I don't know if I saw that a ton. I I understand that like. Um, you know, it's it's just high risk, and you don't you don't do it all the time. But I, I do think that when you st- when you mix things up like that, at least it shows that hey, you want your guys to go out and just play football, and it's fine for the Giants because there's a lot of guys who are really great gap responsibility guys already on the Giants. You know, Dalvin's not going to screw up his gap. Leonard's not going to screw right. up his gap. Dexter's not going to screw up his gap. Martinez only sometimes when he's real aggressive does he screw up his gap. Uh, and you know, so that for me, for me, I, I look at the guys. I'm like, okay, no, they could they could play that amoeba, and when they need to, 
you know, they can, you know, essentially go a little crazy out there, which, uh, you know, sometimes is fun as a defender. You know, we don't like just sitting back there and the quarterback knowing kind of what we're going to do. We do like to, to, to make it a little more confusing on him pre-snap. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it, I, I didn't see it as like a crazy concern just because of okay. the fact that, the, yeah, I think they can, I think they can work with it. Yeah, the the Aniba that you're that you're mentioning is we saw some snaps and we saw some plays where let's just say if this was the Giants defense, Dalvin Tomlinson would be the only defensive lineman on the field. The rest of the guys, <laughs> the rest true. of the guys would be safeties, linebackers, and cornerbacks, and it would just be awesome. And they would all be moving all around the ball before the you know before the snap of the ball, and it, crazy, craziness. Like think you know this. That's not how football works, Anthony. Where you only have one defensive lineman just lined up, maybe right on the center's nose, and then that's it. That's your that's your big boy. That's your big boy for that play. The rest of the guys are just running all over the place. Um, so it's not natural. And then also uh, uh, another aspect of this is what's going to make Giants fans that really like Steve Spagnuolo's four three system very happy. Of you know where you have all four guys putting their hands in the dirt. Right. You love the OC days. You love the Tuck days of him lining up a defensive tackle. There are going to be be plays and there's going to be formations where all four of our big defensive linemen are going to be on the field at one time you're going to have leonard williams and bj hill as your defensive ends and you're going to have dalvin and dexter as your defensive tackles graham showed that he even did that in miami and i guarantee we're going to see it again because those four guys are just that talented yeah no you could see you could see that and again you could replace you could replace bj with with him and as right uh, you can right. replace him with Carter. No reason you can't put Carter's hand in the dirt. You know, we talked at length about that Joker role in a three-four. It kind of is a four-three defensive end. All he's all he's doing is standing up. Really, uh, he's not off the ball. You know, he's not running in coverage. He's his job is to jump in and you know stop the run and be a strong pass rusher. So we have those guys, and he, there were a lot of times where they lined up in essentially a four-three look. So that's kind of fun because that allows, in my opinion, then you to play more two safety looks, right? And have your true two safeties, McKinney and Peppers, no longer having to cover, you know, all of the defensive backfield. They could split it in half. And that's where I think their quickness is better than their top end speed. You know, McKinney is quicker than he is fast. I think Peppers is fast. I think he's probably the best athlete in the defensive backfield, but right. he's also better quick, quick twitch, short areas, you know, allow him to explode to the ball. And, you know, they'll, they'll have those opportunities in the scheme too. And I, I hope he uses that. He didn't use it as much there. I don't know if he had the horses there to do it, but I think that'll be the great test. Justin is knowing what he has and he's got two good safeties. Maybe they're not fully rangy guys. Is he going to play some, some true cover too? Or at least have a man under look, you know, where you can play, you know, man to man with your corners and your linebackers and then have those two safeties, you know, yep. robbing and trying to steal balls underneath like that could be a really fun thing. We just don't know. It, and I just don't know if he I don't it didn't look like Patrick Graham put his guys in those kinds of positions last year. Right. All right. So, again, to kind of refresh general stats, man to man, 50 percent of the time. You know, Patrick Graham's defense of 2019 was a man-to-man 50% of the time, and they played press man 481 times, which was the fifth most in the league. A criticism that we had of James Betcher last year, last year is that the Giants last offseason, they started to invest in their secondary. And what they did by investing in their secondary and what James Betcher did on the football field is he chose to play his cornerbacks 10 yards off the line of scrimmage and complicate things with zone defense. Obviously, the Giants have continued to invest in their sec- in their secondary this year, 
which is good. So you mentioned this notion of backyard ball. So talk more about how Graham uses his corners and how his approach may maximize the strengths of some of these guys that we have on the roster right now. I know you I know you know this. We got Baker who's better in press man. And he, uh, yep. you know, as crazy as that case sounds, you know, I, I think he, he might be on the team. But let's let's pray and hope that, that that all works out and the kid figures it out. After that kid likes to play press man. He's physical. He's got great hips. He's a really good corner and he's going to be very good if he keeps his head in it. And and Bradbury's just a pro, Justin. I think he can play them all. So, you know, I think he's a guy you can play around with, whether you want him to bail into zone or have him cover the number one, you know, and you don't have to show that right away. So both of those guys are really good, but you could throw Baker if you wanted to on the number one and say, go press man, just like he, you know, he had to cover Parker last year against Green Bay. You know, he he showed he could stick with some of the better guys, even as a kind of a lost rookie. So I like them up there. And then again, I, I told you, I, I saw a lot of cover two into cover one. And imagine a safety like McKinney or Peppers being able to crawl up to the line of scrimmage and then if they wanted to blitz, have them cover the tight end or bail. And so that's exciting because they could do all three things and they're good at all three of those things. I don't think the um, any sort of deficiency where we don't have a true center field type safety uh, is as big of a deal if you have two good as good athletes as they are in McKinney and Peppers I think I think he's if he can he should maximize them completely by allowing them to run robber coverages allow them to roam free uh, make sure they're the second guy in not the first guy in because that'll allow him you know them to look at the quarterback to cheat when they need to cheat and I don't mean cheat as in like just guess I mean read the quarterback, read the routes, you know, and make a call because right. a lot of times you're stuck in between two routes and that doesn't, that doesn't help your defense either. So, you know, by having a guy who could be deliberate, he picks the route that he thinks the quarterback's going to and goes for it. You know, those are where the picks come. That's where the big hits come. And both of those guys can do that. So at least on the defensive backfield, I'm very excited. The The question for me is on the front seven, Justin, because of the, he liked, he liked to blitz. He liked to blitz up the middle and, you know, we have Martinez who really likes to come up the middle and you saw that in Green Bay he had a lot of a gap blitz which means the blitz between the center and the guard and that puts a lot of pressure up the middle but you can't do that all the time like we're gonna need edge pressure and yeah. so that's where you'll see two man pressures around the outside and that's sometimes where you'll also see McKinney or Peppers come as the second blitzer and hopefully we can get it that way but that's that whole scheme pressure thing and i'm skeptical of yeah. that in general yeah. uh, something something that i maybe wish i brought up earlier but i was thinking about kyler fackrell kyler fackrell did this a lot in green bay last year as there were edge rushers surrounding him because there was just a lot of talent That's right in green bay so he would come in on third downs and then you would flip a coin and basically uh 50 50 he would either drop back into coverage or then he would or he would rush the passer from that a gap spot so I can imagine there's going to be a ton of Martinez and Fackrell. And, you know, because they're both white, you're going to need to zoom in on both of their jerseys to you'll probably get <laughs> you'll probably get confused as to which one is which. So you're going to see fa I can imagine that we're going to see a ton of third downs because we actually have some options at edge rushers. Sure, they may not be the best options, but, you know, even include Marcus Golden back in this mix. That's there's some depth there. There's some depth. There's, please, there's Lord some Jesus. good average. <laughs> there's some good average depth there. But yes, please come back, Marcus Golden. 
But I, I can imagine so you can maximize having more guys on the football field. There's going to be Blake Martinez, Kyler Fackrell going back and forth between, you know, pressuring the center, you know, going towards that eight gap, back towards the eight gap. They're going to be faking that they're going to be blitzing, dropping back into coverage. And then by the time the ball snaps, I'm serious. It's, you know, we consider Fackrell to be an edge rusher, but it would not surprise me if we see, hey, Martinez is going to be the guy that goes in and goes after the quarterback this snap. Absolutely. And it's going to be Fackrell that drops back into coverage. Fackrell's not yeah. one of these guys that just, that is just solely a pass rusher and you feel bad about like, oh, he's a liability out there. So that's part of, you know, in terms of scheming pressure, uh, I know that's one of your concerns, but I'm going to alleviate that because maybe with some more options and with some more pieces, uh, Graham could be good. I want to talk one thing before we wrap up and before we have our closing segment. Briefly, we saw this in the Washington game where McLaurin would just make these corners look silly. And yeah. a fear that I told you is, hey, you know, when you're relying on on man-to-man coverage, when you're relying on press, when you're relying on backyard ball, so to speak, you're relying on cornerback play. That could be a dangerous thing in terms of you're susceptible to big plays down the football field. Now, the Giants would try to protect and they would try to play zone defense all last year, but yet they were one of the worst teams in the NFL when it came to allowing like plays 30 yards plus down the field. So uh, maybe we just can't win. But you know how how reliable you know it how reliable is like this man to man you know press man relying on cornerback play this much how reliable is that and can this work in terms of not being susceptible to the deep ball and and also with single high because remember we're playing single high a lot yeah yeah absolutely you you're we we were damned last year because the scheme was complicated and it gets more complicated in the zone concepts and our guys weren't ready yet. So that was just, you know, it was just a powder keg of terribleness. Uh, there, I, it was never going to work um, in retrospect. It really wasn't. The, the, like I said before, Justin, the nice thing about man-to-man is you know what you got to do and you can go play football. So it's going to be about the athleticism and skill. And that's where I think you want Baker and Bradbury. And if Baker can't play, that's the same for Ballantyne is that's a kid who just just tell him what to do, allow him to use the sa- sideline as his guide and and cut off the middle of the field and let him use his athleticism. So that that's just another example of where it's like, how's Graham going to use the guy? Well, he could use Ballantyne like that. And even if Baker is, you know, a problem, but like those guys were on the roster last year. He just never ran it. And th- that was the confusing part because he did blitz more last year you know, uh, it was more than people thought, right? It was up around 30%. It was still lower than the Dolphins, but it wasn't like bottom half of the league. So Betcher right. did blitz. It's just, I think the... Situationally. Yeah, just the situationally. Uh, I just don't think that uh, the call was ever made at the right time. And I did see that call get made at the right time, um, at least in Graham's defense. And, you know, it had to because they won more games than we did. You know, <laughs> so at some point you're going to have to stop the offense. And so, you know, that's when it. I, I think the scheme, you can keep it simple early on. And to be honest, that we're going to have this challenge regardless. I can't imagine we're going to run press man to man all game against the Dallas Cowboys when they've got CeeDee Lamb and they've got Amari Cooper out there. Right. Right. Where the, it's just that's where I said I feel like a man under where you have two safeties that can cover over the top, then run man to man underneath. But that means we're susceptible to Ezekiel Elliott in the run game. It just sometimes depends on your opponent. They may have three strengths and you only have two. 
right? And then it's just about your guys playing harder than theirs. And right. sometimes sometimes you squeak it out. So, yeah, the, the challenge is not small, but the talent is there, at least in the back seven. Like they've, they've fixed it in the back seven. Those guys are the right guys and they have all the opportunity to do it. I I don't think that they will overwhelm when they say it's multiple. It's just, you know, there's a lot of looks up front, but it doesn't mean the thing the guy is asked to do is complicated. So there's a difference there. Yeah. Bobby started out this off season and he's recently kind of recanted this by saying, Oh, Patrick Graham's defense, it's not, you know, you run a 3-4, or 3-4 is a 3-4. It's not, you know, there's yeah. no such thing as multiple. But then we've kind of, you know, we, we've scratched off the dust of this 2019 tape, and we've actually seen, whoa, you know, this this defense is multiple, and that is a good, 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 good thing because it can confuse an offense. All right, so let's put a bow on this. Let's put a bow on this. Let's do our closing segment. Top three things I'm looking forward to in Patrick Graham's defense and top three things I'm most worried about. So what are the things that you are most looking forward to to start us off? Uh, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to say number one is the player and scheme fit. I actually really like the guys. I know I was just echoing the point, so I'll move on quickly. But player scheme fit is my number one because it's just who the guys are. I'm going to double down. I feel like like we haven't touched on love and... Holmes, I feel like we t- we kind of touched on everyone else, but those are two guys that we're kind of missing here. I don't think it's that complicated with Love. He's going to play the nickel corner and we move on.org. Whoa. You know? Yeah. A lot of people have him just penciling in as like back and forth between slot corner. And, and, you know, you could play safety, but still be playing like a nickel corner. You, you know what I'm talking about? Where you That's true. Like that, well, no, McKinney's going to do that. Yeah, McKinney's yeah. going to do that. They're going to put McKinney in that slot corner spot sometimes, uh, especially when they run single high. They'll dr- drive him. They'll move him down, especially in first and ten when you may not have nickel on the field. You know, you may not have the extra corner on the field, so they're going to bring McKinney down, which is fun. Like he'll play there. He's good there. Yeah. Uh, the question is just with with Love. I, I just don't think you're going to want to move him back and forth. He showed some progress. He is a corner. I just think that it was the need question, which is the reason why I think he got some reps at safety. I just don't love him there. I like him flying around trying to cover people. I think love is there. I don't think Holmes is ready. After watching his film, Justin, I just I, there's a lot of work there that has to be done. I think he's got excellent fundamentals. Um, it just sometimes looks like he's playing in slow motion yeah. and you know, he just has some growth. That's all. He just don't expect that guy to show up and dominate year one. I I just wouldn't bank on it. Bobby Um, seems to really like him. So, so stay tuned for that film battle that they have on YouTube. It's, it's it's going to happen. And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It'll be his, do his top five favorite plays and I'll do my top five that I hate that make me scared (laughs) to death. Anyway. um, So actually, uh, you know, number two would be press man to man. I like press man to man with the guys. I know it's it's kind of a cheat because it's kind of a one A versus a two, but I'm going to say that specifically because it allows man under, it allows cover one, and it actually allows them to pretend to play man and back out in zone, and it allows to put all the pressure on the offense. So I, I really like that. And then number three is disguises, and uh, they're not complicated disguises, but they're effective disguises. So those are my those are my top three that I'm looking forward to. What are you most worried about? Number one is scheming pressure. Okay. I'm not sure that's real. (laughs) It sounds, it sounds magical. How about that? And I don't, I don't, I just don't, I don't like magical things. Can we be the New England Patriots where, where we just generate pressure with someone? I mean, uh, 
Patriots have some pretty good edge rushers. They they found a, they have found a way to move on from from paying edge rushers, but still having guys that perform in some way. But can we be the New England Patriots without some sort of complicated like you know guys are running stunts every play and we're bringing yeah, seven yeah. guys? Can can we can we be the Patriots? I I don't I don't think so. I think you have to have guys like Jimenez, Fackrell, Carter, and you know Golden, God willing, that they they just have to show up and play. Yeah. Jimenez has to take a step up. Carter has to take these. Are, you know, those are third round draft picks, Justin. You yep. know, they're not. It's not mincemeat. Not those scrubs. are guys that we're expecting to show up, and they're great athletes. Jimenez is an amazing hand fighter, and he's got awesome explosion. He just has no power, no counter move. Um, you know, Carter. I saw him push. I think it was Washington. It was Washington. He pushed Washington's offensive lineman into the backfield with a left-hand stab, and that man weighed 30, 40 more pounds than he did, maybe 50. And so I know he's got the power. I think he was put in a position to get confused last year. So I want to like erase it and say I, I don't want to scheme pressure. I just want to put guys in the positions that they're meant to be in where putting pressure will have the highest rate of success, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And at times it looked like you could put Carter's hand in the ground and just say, go get the quarterback. And he could do that when he had to make decisions where, you know, am I covering, am I blitzing, am I right. scraping off and covering the running back? Like the, that all of that think time loses your opportunity to be successful. So um, that's number one. Number two, uh, the deep safety role. I think he is going to play cover one. So who's going sideline to sideline? My, my bet right now is Peppers because he's the most athletic guy they have, period. And so someone's going to have to play a deep safety role, assuming that we saw Patrick Graham's defense last year. And there's usually a base formation, and I saw a lot of cover one. So I, I don't know what to think. Otherwise, we're going to have to see one of those guys step up in that role. And yeah, it's just kind of the the last, but I don't know, it kind of puts hopefully a bow on it. But I'm not sure his defense is any good or bad. I can't tell. <laughs> and so I'm most worried that I don't know. I have good indications. I, you know, obviously we talked today about that, but I, I don't know. I don't know the guys that he's going to work with, uh, if he's going to change things so it fits their skill sets based on what Joe Judge has said. He's not going to force these guys to do things that Patrick Graham wants to do. Uh, hopefully it's what these guys are naturally good at. And so I don't know if that turns into a good defense. It's going to be an amazing um, few months because – they're going to have all the time, Justin, to learn the language, you know, to learn the scheme. Yep. That's the interesting thing. Um, I think I told you before, learning the scheme, 90% of it is the language. <laughs> That's the hard part. Um, and if you get over that that hump, then it's a lot easier to read and react. And so you could do all of that virtually. So, and that's the part that everyone's saying they're not going to get time on the field. If they have the opportunity to learn the language and understand the concepts, getting on the field and talking about them, that should feel second nature if their meetings are be, are as effective as they should be and their study sessions are going well. So right. I'm hopeful that they, you know, they respect the process and they really dig in deep to his defense because he's got some fun schemes and it's really fun to play in the defense. And so that's all I know. I know it's fun to play in. I just don't know if we're going to be any good with it. All right. So more soon. Anthony, thank you for joining. I have to say, because I've been waiting all episode to share this, I am so mad because we already recorded an episode. This is the second time we're recording this episode because my microphone was absolutely terrible audio. So 
we hopped back on and I was, I've never been so, I don't think I've ever been like this mad ever like in my entire life, but I think we did well. I think we did good. Thank you for coming on again for the second time. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Check out Anthony on Twitter at Anthony NY Giant. Check him out on YouTube. He's going to continue doing some draft breakdown stuff, and then he's going to start to get maybe into some scheme stuff, which I think is more fun. Bobby talks about how scheme is a lot more fun than player evaluation. Uh, I wouldn't know. I'm just knee-deep in Giants history every single day. So uh, (laughs) uh, thank you for tuning in if you've listened this far. Thank you for listening to the Danny King and Anthony Tomano episode part two. You will hear from us on Tuesday when we are talking with Dan Schneier. So that's going to be a fun little interview. And until then, as Bobby says, let's go Big Blue.